creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Do you ever feel hungry creatively, like you need some inspiration, but you just don't know what you want to eat? Maybe you're like my wife, Sophie, when it's dinner time and we haven't made a plan and I'm like, what do you want? And she's like, I, I don't know. I could go for anything. And I know that means... She wants something very specific, but she can't articulate it. And what (laughs) the ideal scenario would be me listing off a bunch of places I want uh, that she doesn't want until we get to one, (laughs) one that sounds good. Essentially, this episode is for you if you find yourself in that scenario where you're like, look, I don't know what sounds good, but I'll know it when I hear it. And I'll definitely know what I don't want when I hear it. And so I'm going to give you, this is part two, (laughs) just trolling Sophie where she's not here to push back. (laughs) But have you ever felt like that? that Like, I don't know. I, I just want somebody to list out a bunch of different ideas and then I'll just pick one when I, when it sounds good. Well, maybe you feel like that creatively. You don't know what you need inspiration-wise, motivation-wise, creative sustenance-wise, and you need somebody to pitch you a bunch of ideas. I'm going to give you eight podcasts, seven podcasts and a bonus. I don't know why I did it that way, to choose from. I did uh, four in the last episode, and then we're going to do four in this episode, and I'm going to go through each episode or each podcast. I'm going to give you an episode to go to. I'm going to tell you how it relates to basically a hashtag that that show could share with this show, like how it relates to the kind of stuff you're looking for on Creative Pep Talk that you can find in a more concentrated area if there's particular pieces of this show that interest you more than others. And not just that, it's not just a taste test. I'm going to give you a takeaway from that episode so that even if it's not a podcast that you want to dive into, you can still take four things from this episode that will inspire you creatively. And one of these is sure to light that creative spark and fill that creative hunger. Let's go. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. I 
really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, AnnieJPizza.com, if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. All right, let's roll. Number five in this list is... A podcast you've heard of, almost certainly. It's WTF from Mark Marin, the comedy guy. You've probably heard of that, but you might not have listened to a particular episode. And I want to add a little uh, commentary to that episode and, uh, and a creative takeaway that I took from that episode. And it's the episode with the Daniels, the, the two filmmakers that made the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. I do recommend that movie, but with a asterisk of it is completely and utterly bonkers and offensive and might melt your brain. You've been warned, uh, but it just won a bunch of Oscars and I, I love that movie and it feels like my ADHD brain. When I left, I said that this movie summarizes how I feel moving through life. It is a multiversal movie, but it's kind of about the multiverse in a very kind of sarcastic way almost. Um, but it, it just kind of gets at the feeling of trying to reach your potential and what that looks like. And as chaotic and zany as that movie is, it is built around a real heart and a message that is incredibly powerful and, and affecting and, I just loved it and I cried and laughed and cringed and everything. Anyway, the reason I highlight this episode is partially just because it's fantastic, uh, just really super interesting interest uh, interview with these filmmakers, but also because Daniel Kwan in the movie talks about how so many ADHD people said that this is what it feels like to be in their brain and that he, through the process of making that movie, got diagnosed with ADHD. And if you come to this show for some neurodivergent love and validation, if you're ADHD or dyslexic or autistic or whatever it is, you just maybe just feel different or weird or alien, um, then this episode I wanted to highlight because it is just a uh, Daniel Kwan. I'm just so thankful for the way that he showed up to this big interview. He comes at it in this in the way that I feel so many ADHD people are able to present in this humbled way because the universe and, and the world we live in, it, it will humble you as a person. 
um, with ADHD. And every time I encounter someone with ADHD, it, their pain is so surface level because a lot of ADHD people I've met are very intelligent, intelligent, but they say intelligence when they're trying to say intelligent, you know, that they, they stumble, they, they, they get mixed up. They have everything everywhere all at once going on in their brain. And it means that they often are struggling to have a conversation in a way that doesn't trigger people as insanely bizarre, peculiar, or confusing And you can just feel on that surface level, this raw nerve and this sensitivity and this struggle and pain. And, and, you know, when I started this show almost eight years ago, I pretty, pretty early on decided to talk about being ADHD, even though at the time it wasn't a thing that I felt like people were talking about, especially in the creative professional realm. And I didn't know if it was actually going to have a adverse effect on whether I would get jobs or whether it would hurt my public uh, persona or whatever. But I, I talked about it because I felt like I'd seen what had happened, you know, over the past decade in the autistic space and, and awareness and, and understanding and, and compassion for that group of people. And you would see it in media and in TV shows and all just trying to explore how, how we uh, love these people and, and serve them and integrate them and care for them. And I felt like ADHD, I was hoping like, please, will this happen for ADHD people? Because as it stood then, it was just a joke. You know, it was just a, uh, it it was a punchline. And it, and to me personally, in my own life, and then the people that I love, I saw that this was an everyday, legitimate, significant struggle and it, and, and it is a disability. And I do think it comes with, look, I'm not here to say, Oh, it's a disorder or it's a superpower or whatever. It's a different way of being. And we are in an environment at the very least that was not built for that way of being. And so it isn't a challenge to be in modern society for people like us. And when you meet if an ADHD person you are going to feel the sting and the reality of that everyday challenge and the shame of it. And I was just blown away by Daniel Kwan's humility and vulnerability in this episode as he talks about it. And I, and even in a set, and the reason I was so grateful for it is because you could tell that, um, I don't know what Mark, Marin thinks about ADHD, but I could tell that it wasn't something that he had given a ton of thought to, or that maybe there were times in the past where he had strong opinions on it. Or, you know, there's a lot of people out there that believe, oh, it's not a real thing, or everyone thinks they're ADHD. Two things I'd just say to that, even though that's not what this episode is about, is one, it's a thing that neuroscientists can see happening in the brain in brain scans. So it's it is a it's a fact. It's not a theory. And then secondly, Um, I saw this thing on TikTok. I wish I could reference it, but I don't know where I saw saw it. And it was how when being left-handed became less demonized culturally, uh, you can look at a chart and the amount of people that admit to being left-handed just skyrockets overnight, of course. And anytime something's normalized, that's what's going to happen. And thank 
God, we're seeing that happen with ADHD. And in that process, are some people going to be misdiagnosed? Yes, that's going to happen. Okay, most of those people will not stay on the medication or the treatments or get something out of it that they don't deserve or whatever. Most people won't stay in there, but a lot of people will get help and support that and understanding and validation that they need. And I just felt like it's, it was really brave of this guy to be in this space where he didn't know if it was safe to talk about this and didn't know if it was going to be met with compassion because we've all experienced that sort of thing. Um, and, and so if you come to this show for the hashtag ADHD stuff or the neurodivergent stuff, I think that that is an incredible episode to see a, um, the different ways in which a neurodivergent person has succeeded, um, but also someone who has that level of success open up and be vulnerable and be earnest in that space that in Hollywood, you just don't hear a lot of people talk the way he talks. So you, you just have to go listen to it if that's your kind of thing. If it's not your kind of thing, you know, I made this show and this show to me and what it's about is it's a creative journey show. It's a creative practice show. But when I say creative, I mean people that have to get creative about surviving and then ideally thriving in this world that we live in. People that you don't have to get creative if you are the type of person that this world was built for. You don't have to be creative. You just plug in and you're good. And I've seen those people. I'm happy for those people. But for all of us who don't have a path before us that is even survivable for our way of being, we have to be creative. Creativity is not an option. It's not a nice to have. It's we need to learn how to harness the maximal potential of our creative minds so that we can get really strategic and creative and improvisational and, and experimental with how we exist and survive and cobble together uh, a, an existence in the world that we find ourselves in that is in some ways hostile to our very nature, right? So that is why I brought that up, why I highlighted it. But the prompt or the takeaway is they talk about another movie that I haven't seen, but was a movie they made before this is Swiss Army Man with Daniel Radcliffe and I think Paul Dano. And it's really a super ridiculous premise. Like I think Daniel Radcliffe plays a dead body that has that the other guy uses as a Swiss Army knife, <laughs> like like a like a survival tool in this island that he gets deserted on. Um, it's insane. But in that episode, they talk about how they came up with the worst possible idea for a movie. And then they use that as a creative prompt to say, how could we redeem this? How could we make this a movie worth making? And so, yes, I do think it's a interesting prompt to say, what is the worst song you could write? What is the worst podcast episode you could make? What's the worst illustration you could do? There are ways in which that can help you unpick and unlock the kind of social code and virtue signaling and the different ways that you're trying to stay relevant. And all of that kind of energy is going to be ego related. It's not going to be you connecting to your deeper self or your unconscious self or your right brain. It's all going to be rules. It's not going to be breaking the rules. It's not going to be creative. And so saying the opposite may help you 
access that side of yourself that is not ego, you know, is creative. But if you're like me, that prompt, I've tried to use that several times to make podcast episodes and it just isn't easy. So I don't know if that particular takeaway is super helpful, but I'll give a little, a shift for it that has really been useful to me. And essentially the shift is to quit trying to come up with good ideas and instead just come up with any ideas. And the reason why I think this shift is so powerful for myself and it's how I approach creative work is the, the research that I've dove into around best creative practices would say the people that find really, really good, interesting ideas are the people that are willing to not try to solve a creative problem, but to play with a problem. And I find this really fascinating because a problem by its very nature is something like it's only a problem if you want to solve it, if it's something that needs to be tackled and resolved. And so in order to engage with a problem without trying to solve it, you have to really do some mental gymnastics. You have to say like the point of this process isn't to solve it, it's to hang out around it and enjoy it and soak it up. And that's so hard to do because if you go to make an illustration and you're like, okay, I have to solve the problem of how to illustrate this article. I have to solve that problem. You know that you have to solve it. But the most efficient way to do that is to not try to solve it, but instead play with it. And play with it means You don't want to jump to, you don't want to set the prompt to be, what is the solution? Because you're going to jump to conclusions. You're going to jump to safe thinking. You're going to jump to what you already did. You're not going to be creative. You're not going to find any like kismet clicking, locking in moment. You're just going to go to something safe. And so what I've had to work really hard to do is waste time in the creative process because in my mind, there there's never enough time to rush because rushing is the least efficient way to get a creative solution because you're going to jump to the end. So you don't have enough time to rush. You only have enough time to waste time because that's the way that you actually make progress. And so when I go to write what the, the, the tools that I use are don't think of the best idea. Just think of any idea. Think of anything that comes to mind free associate. So when you start with, Uh, what should the next podcast episode be? Just think uh, whatever comes to mind and then, then whatever comes to mind to that and then whatever comes to mind to that and then whatever comes to mind to that and just let that thing flow because when you play with the problem, you are accessing a completely different part of your brain that is looser, that is not linear, but is associative. And it goes, instead of going straight forward, it goes side to side and you start making associations that are novel and interesting. And so that's the prompt I give you from this episode is they made, they were like, okay, we're going to make this terrible idea for a movie. We're going to come up with the worst idea we can. And then, and, and, and that is a way of doing what creativity is, which is a mind game. It is a way of how do I get out of my own way? And that is a literal thing. That's a, how do you get around the, the part of you that you identify with, 
which, which is your ego. It's the part of you. And it's not ego in the sense of like being egotistical and self-important. It's just the part of you that is conscious that you're like, I'm Andy. How do you get past that person that wants to identify as Andy, a guy who likes pizza and has a podcast and says, you know, likes analogies and has illustrations and all that. How do you get past that? How do you get past that guard in, because that guard has a lot at stake. They want to like keep it good, right? And have great work and all that stuff. How do you get past that thing? How do you play that mind game? For me, quit trying to have good ideas, have lots and lots of ideas. And when you do that, you will then be able to pick out the good ones. All right, number six on our list is a show called Grow the Show. It's a show for podcasters, but you don't have to be a podcaster to get a lot from this show because for me, most of what they talk about on this show applies to my illustration practice, my kids book practice. And if you come to Creative Pep Talk for marketing ideas or creative career strategy, this might be a good show to check out. All of it can apply to a newsletter or a Substack. Is that what it's called? Substack, I think it is. A Patreon, a even Instagram, TikTok, but a little bit less so, or a podcast. And I think you should have something online that keeps you in touch with potential customers of some sort um, that doesn't have, that's not mitigated by an algorithm. And, uh, and that could be a podcast that could be a, uh, an email newsletter. It could be a couple other things, but I really like this show. And the reason I really like the show is that it's hard to find a show in the marketing space that doesn't feel sleazy, that doesn't feel scammy. Um, doesn't, I don't know. You get, you get the point, but it's hard to find shows in that space that aren't gross. And this show doesn't strike me as gross. I don't think that it is necessarily cut from the same cloth as a lot of creative shows are, but it's, I, I believe he, he does a really good job of being palatable to his target audience. I am going to recommend the episode that is how to make your podcast and target audience more specific. And that is a huge thread through this podcast is about niching down to a specific target audience. And if you've listened to this show for any amount of time, you know, I'm a big believer in that. We're going to talk about that in an upcoming episode in a different way than we've explored before. We're going to dive deeper into the idea of aim small, miss small, as well as how starting small is the path to growing a larger audience. And we're going to talk about that soon. But that episode of Grow the Show is just super powerful and really interesting. And there's some really good exercises that he does in that episode. And I think it can apply to anything you do. And so if you are an illustrator and you want to work in editorial space, my suggestion is the thing I would tell you to do is make a podcast about psychology. If you want to make, I don't know if I already said that, but if you want to make 
editorial illustrations about psychology, make an, I don't think I said it that way, make a, a psychology podcast, make a podcast that is about psychology or a newsletter or a personal Instagram project um, about the topic that you want to illustrate and then illustrate it. The whole idea, you know, every time I make this suggestion to somebody, I'm like, oh, you're interested in ADHD or you're interested in basketball or you're interested in whatever you're interested in. And then I'm like, okay, make, make a project about that. And they're like, oh, I don't know. I'm not an expert in that. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not asking you to be an expert in that. I'm asking you to be an expert in illustration. You know, there are so many filmmakers that the films that they write, the people at Pixar, they're not psychologists. They're not toy makers. They're, they're not archaeologists, but they make movies about dinosaurs, right? Like they go into the space, they do the research, they make, they're not philosophers, but they'll make like even um, a great example of this is The Good Place with the, the creator behind that is, I'm blanking on it because I just came up with this, I, this reference on the spot, but it's um, Mose from The Office. Some of you are like, Andy, it's this guy. His name is... He also is the co-creator of Parks and Rec. It's like it's like a game show where the host doesn't know the answer. Michael Schur, that's his name. Michael Schur, he made the show The Good Place, but he doesn't know philosophy. He, you know, he was learning it. They they were working with philosophy experts on the show. They were diving into it. He used the show to get to know something. You can make a project. You can make a podcast. You can make an illustration project about something you want to ask questions about, not just things you have answers for. And so if you want to, uh, I just strongly believe that you need to have a sense of in the next season of my music practice, my illustration practice, whatever it is in that next season, it's going to be an exploration of this and don't be afraid to cut people out of that niche because you need to have a way of communicating. This is for this particular group of people. One of the exercises that he does in that episode, and there's a few others, um, so I recommend you go check it out, but one of the things he says to do is to say, I make this for people who this and this, and you can do this and this and this. It could be three things, but essentially you're trying to create a little Venn diagram that says my podcast, my illustration practice, my film is for these people who share these things in common. And the more circles you add to it, the more specific the niche. Now I did this for this podcast and the two circles that I think I feel most certain about, about what this show is for. Now you don't have to be these to listen to the show, but this is who I'm aiming it towards. I'm aiming it towards people that share these two qualities. One, Creativity is a must for them. And it is a must either because they feel they have to create or it's a must, meaning they feel like they have to, to just stay well or they have to to make their way in the world to survive. They have to be creative about how they build a life. And so the first circle for me for this show is they feel creativity is do or die. Now, the second circle is, the way I would say it is, they believe that creativity, making good creative work of any kind, whether it's entrepreneurial or, or Instagram or uh, film or whatever it is, they believe that making good stuff is able to be done on purpose. They believe that 
making creative work can making good creative work can be a habit. That's the other, those, those are the two things. So they believe that creativity is do or die and that creativity is something you can choose to do. It's not completely magic. It's not completely out of your control. And I think that those two beliefs are compatible because if creativity is do or die, but you also believe that it's magic. You're, you're putting your life uh, into the dice role, right? Because you're not in control of it. Now, I'm also a believer that like what Christoph Neiman says, the illustrator Christoph Neiman says in one of his talks that great creative work is not in your control. That if you are, if you put yourself into that space between an artist and artisan, where you're an artist and a craftsperson, you're trying to strike a balance between the great creative work that sometimes happens uh, that's not in your control and the good work that is in your control that, that you can learn how to actively create things on purpose that are good most of the time. That right there, that's the second circle for me. Like in that circle is also things like creativity isn't just Ouija board creativity. It's not just like finding your way, like starting without an end in mind, starting with the hope of a surprise, like starting to make something and you're like, I have no idea where this is going to take me. That's one creativity. It gets a lot of play. It's very celebrated. It's a big part of my practice. But on the flip side, I believe that creativity, a different way to be creative is strategy. It's puzzle solving. It is solving problems. And that type of strategic creativity, that's a huge part of this show. So those are the two, those are the two circles I use for the show, but I do different ones for my kids' books. I think there's a few different circles off the top of my head. One is I'm going to take a more artistic approach uh, to the art, so less mainstream, a um, little bit more um, challenging maybe, a little bit pushing the envelope. Uh, I, my creative taste in illustration is a lot more European when it comes to kids books, which means it's a looser style than is mainstream. You know, I'm, I'm kind of shocked and surprised when American audiences, sometimes, uh, Americans that interact with the art comment on how in some areas it looks unfinished because I do a lot of like white backgrounds and analog textures and traditional line work and pencils, pencil marks are left within the pieces. And I never think of it as like not finished. I just think of it as my aesthetic taste and it being kind of having a lo-fi edge, even if I'm trying to have a finish that is um, elegant, right? So, but I feel like that's still kind of unusual. So it's got that side, that circle, um, it has the circle of the topics are weird. I also think there's a sci-fi topic going on because all the stuff I do in the kids book or kids illustration space, like invisible things or pizza with everything on it. Like these are sci-fi related stuff. It's kind of like magical realism. Um, so those, those are some examples, but that is a show that if you're looking to find some marketing fodder, I think even if you don't have a podcast, he does a good job of 
not adding things, not adding circles to that Venn diagram that are personal to him, that are maybe true to him, but irrelevant to the audience. And that's another thing I wanted to highlight or another takeaway is that I talk a lot about being yourself in your work and putting your true self into the creative work. But one thing I'm, I try to be mindful of highlighting is that you do want to polarize people with your work, but you want to polarize them in ways that are meaningful to who you're trying to communicate to. And so my Venn diagram for this show, like I said, might be do or die creatives and creatives that believe you can do it on purpose. Those are two things that I believe that I'm okay alienating people with. However, there are a million other circles that are true to me that I want to use very sparingly. Like another circle could be, I love RPG video games, but you, I'm not going to insert <laughs> some people might argue against this. <laughs> I try not to insert RPG video games into the show in such a way that it polarizes people that don't play them or, or, or aren't interested in them. And so the same goes for you. I think you can add flourishes that make it uh, unique and make it your own, but I don't think you should make polarizing decisions based on the nuance, the particulars, every single thing that makes you unique because in the show or the thing that you make is only going to be for you. And I think he does a great exam, a great job of not allowing all of the multitudes of infinite circles that make up the Venn diagram that makes that person who they are. He, he doesn't use those in such a way where it polarizes everybody or it's self-indulgent. He makes, but he does have a very niche show and he tries to deliver on that thing. And that's what I've always been trying to do. And I'm always trying to do better job of it is say, this is what this show is. This is the promise I'm making with what I'm delivering in this and, and trying not to break that contract every single week. And one thing I want to just rewind slightly with and clarify is when I was talking about illustrators making a psychology show, you know, for me personally, look, I'm very pro. If your thing is being a creator that helps creators, I'm very pro of that because I love helping creators and I want creators to thrive. I'm down for that. But just, but when I made this show, it wasn't the only, it, there wasn't a lot of shows like this. And so now that this has become more of a thing, I just feel like for some people making a creative project that is creative self-help is a great idea because it's right within their wheelhouse uh, and it's what they want to talk about. You know, for me personally, I have a deep wound around creators in my life, people like my mom and people like some of my friends from high school and then my own personal struggles uh, with ADHD and friends that I have that are neurodivergent. I have all these people in my life that meant that as soon as I found some breakthroughs in my creative practice, I was instantly compelled to turn around and share what I was learning. And it's deeply connected to the wounds that I feel. And also the fact that I grew up in a household and I, and I'm part of a family that is deeply analytical. You know, we would always analyze the, the career choices of the actors and musicians that we loved. It's just a pastime of my family, even though most of my family wouldn't consider themselves creative. So 
this show is a very, it was something I was deeply intentional about. Like this is a space I want to exist in is in the world of creativity. But I would actually recommend, unless that's true for you, I would recommend you do a project that is on a niche topic that is more specific to the types of jobs that you want to get. You know, if you want to connect with philosophers, make a TV show about philosophy like The Good Place. You know, if you want to make illustration in for articles about psychology in the New York Times, make a project where you go illustrate things for psychologists. You know, podcasting is a space that I became deeply obsessed with in between 2010 and 2014. I was just so obsessed with it. And I wanted to be the illustrator in the podcasting space. And that is so much more of an interesting space to be in than the illustrator in the illustration space. And that's how you really carve out a niche. And so that's what I would recommend doing. You can go find that show. It'll tell you a lot about how to make stuff on the internet that is tailored to the kinds of opportunities and communities that you want to be in. And I recommend that you go for that, especially if you're not an expert in that thing. Because if you're an expert in that thing, you're just another psychologist in the psychology field. But if you're the illustrator in the psychology field, all of a sudden it gets really interesting. And I don't see enough people taking advantage of that, man. Come on. Okay, on to number seven. This is the one that at the beginning of the start of this two-part episode, I said, I don't want to tell you about it. It's a juicy bit that everyone's waited for. Now, I will say I've told you about this show before, but I have new revelations about this show, and it's changed my life <laughs> as, as an illustrator. And, um, and I don't think that it's going to be everyone's cup of tea. However, I think the takeaway very may well be, and the show is This Jungian Life. It is a show about Jungian, it's three Jungian analysts, and if you don't know Jungian analysts, um, and it's J-U-N-G, it is Carl Jung was one of the grandfathers of psychoanalysis. He worked with Freud. They ended up having a falling out. Um, he was definitely a weirdo in a whole bunch of ways. He was a product of his time. So there's definitely ways in which some of the things that he was exploring are dated or not, um, you know, didn't end up coming out in the research, didn't end up validating all of his theories. But I find him to be one of the most interesting thinkers and one of the biggest inspirations for me personally in my own spiritual journey and psychological journey, journey with the self. It probably gets closest to my personal views on what we're doing on the planet in terms of what he called individuation, which was the process in which you became whole with the self and the deep self or the ego and the psyche becomes whole, the conscious self and the unconscious becomes integrated in one and you become truly individual and unique and, and able to provide a, a very unique contribution to the universe. I'm into all that, of course, you know it, uh, but what the way that it's deeply impacted me creatively, and I mean, it's the thing that I've been most excited about over the past couple of years is 
a huge portion of the work of Carl Jung's work is around dreams, but that work is about images. And it's funny that I feel like the takeaway that I'll say about this might be a couple fold, but the main one is I really encourage you to trust and embrace and follow and be open to your curiosity as a as a human, even in the ways or especially in the ways that don't seem to obviously connect to what you're doing creatively, because those are the most interesting spaces, just in the same way that the illustrator in the psychology space is going to be so much more interesting than another psychologist and another in the psychology space in that same way the thing that's going to make you interesting are all the things that you bring to the practice that aren't directly related. And those things are going to come from a genuine, honest passion and curiosity. And, and I would say, if you're anything like me, if you will give yourself over to those and you will pull those threads, you'll say yes to those calls to adventure, you'll be blown away by, as you dive into it, how there was a deep intuitive sense that this was something that you needed that is, is directly related to what you're doing. This has been true for me on several fronts. You know, when I first started to try to get into picture book making, uh, author and illustrating picture books, this was back in like 2011, 2012. And I started, I started just writing a ton of books and pitching a ton of books and I was getting nowhere and I was sharing them with other illustrators that I loved and the editors and the illustrators and the authors that I talked to would all give me all this feedback that was so nuanced and I didn't understand where they were coming from. And they were like, Oh, you know, in this book, you know, it's the, uh, deus ex machina thing, which is the God in the machine. It's the thing of, um, when in a story, the thing that saves the character is some external luck or divine intervention. And it's a payoff that is not satisfying because the character really has to change to get the goal for it to be satisfying. And, and so anyway, it was a lot of feedback like that. It was a lot of feedback that I didn't have any reference for. And initially my feeling about it was, why do they all want to make these formulaic stories? Like, why can't we actually get creative and just do something different? Why does it have to follow all these rules? And it was driving me nuts. And I really rejected it initially. I was so anti-story and story structure and all that stuff. And simultaneously, I had become deeply passionate and interested in the hero's journey, not even initially making the connection to it being story structure, which I know sounds crazy, but it was, it came from the place of more of like a spiritual digression and divergence from where I had been and where I was raised and all that. To me, the interest in Carl Jung and archetypes and Joseph Campbell and comparative myth that was all a spiritual journey. And I didn't even really, cause I didn't really know at the time how that had infiltrated and influenced how people wrote movies or, or books or what have you. I didn't get into that till way later. And at that same time that I was struggling to write picture books, um, I was getting deeply curious about Joseph Campbell and, and Carl Jung. And initially I kind of rejected it. I was closed off to it until I just couldn't help it anymore. Cause I needed to find that creative juice that gets you going. And I had to give myself over to it. And it was one of the best things I ever did. And then come to find out years into reading 
books and books about um, Carl Jung and 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 uh, or mostly Joseph Campbell. I've just kind of recently come back to Carl Jung, realizing how essential all of that was to getting to the place where we're about to publish our uh, and I say our like I co-wrote and author uh, illustrated. Um, a couple books that are coming out that are the first ones that I was an author on and, and, and they, in the, and it was essential going on that path. And I had to trust my curiosity, even though I didn't know where it led. And other interesting thing about that is with Carl Jung, again, I had dove into that based on my curiosity around psychology and spirituality, but what I didn't put together was his obsession with dreams was really an obsession with images Like the whole idea is that your dreams are metaphorical, they're symbolism, they are images. And what I can't believe that it's not more common that illustrators study Carl Jung and archetypes and symbols. Now, sometimes when you stumble upon that kind of stuff, you're like, why do people not do this? And then you realize like, oh, there was a whole class I had in college on semiotics and symbols and signs that I just phoned in completely because I wasn't ready for it. Right. Like that, that's how it goes sometimes. But I've just become enamored with illustrations and images and symbols and their power. They're, they are the life force behind great storytelling. So I was an illustrator who fell in love with storytelling and fell out of love with images for a bit. And now I'm back. I'm back. And because I've found that the engine of the, the power that a story has to speak to the deep unconscious self it comes from not using plain language, but using an image that speaks to us in the same visceral way that a dream does. And the reason why this Jungian life, and it's the reason why I was kind of hesitant to tell you about it, partially because it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Um, and so, you know, hopefully this takeaway is just tasty for anybody, but the, the podcast is a little bit heady. It might feel a little bit stuffy for some of you, but if this is your kind of jam, if you love dreams, if you are an illustrator, if you love images, uh, if you love metaphors, this could be for you. Every time they go into a particular topic or archetype and they kind of dissect it. And then at the end of that episode, they interpret a dream. And throughout this, there is so much language and an exploration on the power of an image as a metaphor and how they find language like idioms that illustrate or connect the image to the thing that it's describing or depicting that the truth that it's illuminating. And it was through them listening to hours and hours and hours of this show, hearing them unpick the symbolism of a dream symbol or an archetypal symbol that I started to realize what illustration does and how it does it. And one practical way, this is something also I try to tell you stuff that I'm like, don't want to tell you cause I'm sure that's the good stuff. Um, and so I don't want to tell you this cause it's been such a powerful tool for my illustration practice. I quit brainstorming nouns first when I do illustration because Frank Camaro, who is a designer, he talks about how when you're looking for a metaphor, you're looking for nouns that share the same verb. 
Okay. So if you're looking for you, you're doing the example I give a bunch on this show is iron giant. If you want to illustrate an article about how we need to deprogram ourselves, uh, the image you're going to look to might be a robot because robots are literally programmed. So programmed is the verb and the noun might be your own brain or a robot, right? Or a computer or, um, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. So that's how I started to all of the episode art that I've done over the past eight months has been made that way. And it's been the most satisfying work of my life as an illustrator. And as I approach kids books and stories, I've been starting in that place and it's been just the most fun I've ever had in the picture side of creativity. And so I will recommend go search out the zombies episode. That one's really good because they talk about what you end up finding out is these fascinations that we have culturally, they have symbolic meanings that we're unconsciously drawn to. And so it's no surprise. They talk about this in the show. This isn't my thing. This is theirs, but they talk about how it's no surprise that we would become obsessed with zombies at the same time that we're seeing this political landscape where huge swaths of people are losing their minds uh, and becoming these brainless brain suckers that want to take over your minds and don't want you to think critically. And they want to convert you to the masses that all have the same anti-thinking uh, quality to them. Like that's what a zombie is. And they go through so many symbols like that. And it's just, I mean, you can tell I'm very excited about it. Um, but might not be your cup of tea, but I hope that even if it's not, that that takeaway is somewhat of a juicy flavor in your, in the creative buffet that is this podcast episode, this two-parter. If you want to go find all those podcasts, you can go to creativepeptalk.com slash episodes and we'll have them all in the show notes. And I hope that you found something creatively delicious to eat from this smorgasbord. So the episodes that we talked about in this episode was uh, we went through, I'll go through all of them from part one to just real quick. So we talked about the podcast in writing, which was hashtag craft. If that's what your, the hashtags are, the hashtags that shared that are shared with creative pep talk and these podcasts. So if you're a fan of the craft talk um, in writing might be a good show to check out. If you are looking for seeds of substance, things to build work around, uh, you are a storyteller might be a good podcast to check out. Uh, number three, if you just like some good old fashioned advice, NPR's life kit might be a good fit for you. And uh, I'm a big fan of anything Malika Garib makes. Uh, number four was philosophize this. If you come to it for the deeply philosophical takes that Dr. Pizza brings week in and week out, that might be your jam. Number five is uh, the episode of WTF with Mark Marin with the Daniels, the creators, the filmmakers behind everything, everywhere, all at once. If you come to this show for the ADHD flavors, that might be a great episode to check out. Number six is Grow the Show, which is a, sh a show about building podcasts, but it's really a marketing show and they do a great job of 
helping you niche down, uh, lots of tools around that, how to build uh, content things online that are based on subscriptions, not algorithms, lots of good stuff on that. If you come to the show for marketing tips, that might be a good show for you. Number seven is This Young in Life. If you're looking to make deeper work, if you're looking to make something with a little bit more metaphorical resonance, if you will, that's a great show to check out. And I told you I was going to give a, give you a bonus one. So number eight is just for fun. It is the off menu podcast with Ed Gamble and James A. Caster, two British comedians. I'm an enormous fan of James A. Caster. He's probably my favorite comedian. You, you probably already know that. Um, but off menu is a podcast I go to when I feel like I need to turn off my brain and I need to remember that it's fun to have fun. I, and it really does that because it's just two people. You know, sometimes I think about, oh, let's just go um, hang out and talk crap. And I'm like, that just doesn't sound fun. I want to talk about deep stuff, man. I want to talk about psychology and spirituality and all that stuff. And I do love talking about that kind of stuff. But I also like having fun. I just forget that I like having fun. And it makes me a better dad when I remember that I like to just be silly. And I, and I need to turn off that strategic part of my brain sometimes. So... When I need that, I go to Off Menu. It's a podcast where they have a dream restaurant and the guest every week comes in and picks a dream starter and a dream main and a dream dessert and a dream drink. And it's just tons of fun. I recommend the episode with Joe Cornish, who is one of the writers of uh, Ant-Man and all kinds of other stuff. That episode is just hilarious. There's so many funny bits in that. And then also the episode with Yotam Adelengi, because I'm a huge fan of the impact that Adelengi has had on the food world. And they just talk about delicious things and it's really great. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a really good one for remembering why you had a goal, which is remembering why you want to make art because it wasn't about awards for making art. It was about the process. It was about the humanity. It was about having fun. And so if you need a dose of that, that's my go-to. And there's just so many episodes to go at, and it's just tons of fun. And and Ed and James are really funny. James is so quick. I can't even believe it. But yeah, great, great podcast to check out. Massive thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music and soundtrack. Thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for beautifully editing this show each and every week and for the sound design as well. Thanks to Ryan Appleton, Katie Chandler, and Sophie Miller for podcast assistance of all sorts and shapes and kinds. And thanks to you for showing up for another episode. We'll be back next week with more Creative Pep. But until then, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.